morning again, and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor, and uh, we're grateful to be able to worship together. I love that my front row is filling up. That's always nice, not what you were expecting this morning, but we're glad to be here. What a gift it is to worship and to sing. God's grace and His mercy is more than enough. His mercy is bigger than our sin and that we can come together as God's family and sing. And so we're, we're grateful to be able to do that this morning. Uh, we're in a series right now as a church called The Discipleship Journey. And so if you've not been around these last couple of weeks, in the bulletin on the left-hand side of the bulletin, uh, you'll kind of see a brief explanation of what we're doing. And for us as a church, we're asking the question, how can we passionately pursue Christ? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And as a ministry, uh, we've done some soul searching. What are we doing as a church to help people passionately pursue Christ by by becoming disciples? And so we've kind of uh, organized kind of this new direction with those three icons on the left uh, that if if we're going to be who Jesus wants us to to be, then we've got to become a disciple, which we've talked about for a couple weeks now, uh, through faith and through baptism that we have to grow as a disciple so that we can go and make disciples. And so this is what we as a church are saying. We want to help you. We want to help you follow Jesus as a disciple, that it was the call to the, to the disciples, and it's the call to the church today. And so as a ministry, we're saying, how can we program, how can everything we do help you and me as we seek to follow Jesus? And so we're, we're passionate about this, we're excited about this, uh, because we want to be disciples. We want to be like Mary Magdalene, who came to Jesus, she fell on her face before Jesus, she wept, she gave, she sacrificed, and she followed him. We want to be like Andrew and Peter and Matthew, who followed Jesus. And so for us, um, now we're, we're thinking through what are the habits of a disciple? How do you grow as a disciple? And so for this For this kind of section of what we're doing, we're saying here are habits that we believe that if you do these things as a disciple, you will grow closer with Jesus as a disciple. And so the first two weeks we've talked about, I mean, no surprises, staples of growing with Jesus, that you've got to be studying the word and you've got to be praying. That if you want to grow with Jesus, there's no way around not studying his word and praying, that you've got to be able to open this book, not just on Sundays, and you can read it, and you can think about it, and you can interpret it, and you can apply it to your life. And that what Pastor Jonathan shared with last week, that if you want to grow with Jesus, that you've you've got to talk to him. You've got to pray and surrender things to him and confess things to him and offer up your requests with him. And that there's different ways of praying, but Jonathan walked through the Lord's prayer last week. But we, we want to help you. We want to help you be able to grow in these, in these habits or these disciplines so that you can know Jesus better and you can represent him into the world. And so this week, uh, we're continuing to talk about habits, things that we want to help you kind of cultivate to be a part of your life so that you can grow to be like him. And, and as popular as those first two are, this is probably the least popular of all the habits. In fact, I bet you it would surprise you that this is even one of the habits that we're talking about. And so this morning, we're talking about confessing sin. We just, we just don't 
This isn't a really popular topic. I guess pastors don't like talking about it or we don't like thinking about it. But how are we confessing sin? And so let's pray and then we'll jump into his word this morning. So Father, we pray, you know, as we sing songs about your grace and your mercy, God, I pray that it would uh, trickle down into our lives and it would impact how we talk about our own sin. Because it is truth that your grace is enough. It's more than enough. And it is truth right now that your mercy is more than our sin. And so God, I pray that these beautiful, life-changing truths would impact how we view our own sin. And God, we come to you this morning, and we come to you humbly bowing down before you, God, asking that you'd help us You'd help us to see our sin. You'd help us know how to deal with our sin, that we would be followers of you, walking in the light. And so, God, this morning, if your Holy Spirit, we ask, would convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we're discouraged, comfort us where we're exhausted, that your Holy Spirit would lead us where we need to be led, so that we can follow and be disciples of you to a world that is desperately searching for grace and mercy. And so God, help us this morning. Give us the focus for just a few minutes to hear from your word. And it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen. In elementary school, I remember doing a science fair experiment as a fifth grader Uh, that was a groundbreaking experiment. Not really. It was definitely not groundbreaking. But I remember in fifth grade, I had the trifold. You remember the trifold? You set them up. I called this experiment the plant maze. And I created these three shoe boxes. And within these shoe boxes, I created really intricate mazes like this. What I did is in each of the boxes, I had a different size hole at the top of the box. So this was the bigger sized hole. The second box had a smaller hole, and the third box didn't have any hole at all. And what I did was I put a plant at the bottom of the box, and I shut the the box, and I, I wanted to see how the plant would go through the maze with different amounts of sunlight. Groundbreaking, I know, isn't it? Called it the plant maze, and believe it or not, the 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 plant with the biggest hole in the box grew through the maze, up out of the box, reaching towards the sun. The second box with the smaller hole started to grow. Didn't make it all the way through the maze. But then the third box, the plant wilted, and then eventually it died. So yes, I contributed to sunlight and plant life as a fifth grader, but here's what we see with this. Okay, our growth as a disciple is much like the growth of this kind of plant. Okay, the sun or the plants craved the light. They needed the light so much that they worked themselves through the maze up towards the sunlight. And the truth, it is the same truth for us to grow as a disciple. I mean, we need light. Light is life, darkness is death. And it's a metaphor that's used through scripture to talk about our vitality and our life as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. It is walking in the light compared to walking in the darkness. And so this morning, before we even get to talking about confessing sin, I want to look at his word and say, why? What, what is the point? 
what is the significance of walking in the light, of confessing? Um, and so this morning we want to do that in 1 John 1. So if you have a Bible and can turn to 1 John 1, it'll be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. want to work, walk through the first 10 verses of 1 John 1. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it. We testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, and we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Verse 5, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So here we have a letter from the Apostle John. Now, you, you have to love the Apostle John. He was one of the first disciples. He left his fishing business with Andrew to follow Jesus. But what you see in the life of this apostle is that at the beginning of his ministry with Jesus, um, he was a bit young and inexperienced and a bit overly passionate to follow Jesus. And so Jesus has to correct him. There's a scene in Mark 9 where, where John is upset that somebody is doing the, the work of Jesus that's not one of the 12 disciples, and so Jesus has to reprimand him. But what you see with John, you see him grow in his faith. At the end of Jesus' life, Jesus turns to John, and what does he say? He says, I want you to take care of my mother. And what you see is in the life of John is growth. You see this maturity to the point that eventually he becomes a pastor, so tradition tells us that John went to Ephesus, and when he was a pastor, he pastored many churches all the way until he was too old to even walk. The tradition tells us that he would be carried to the church so that he could pastor. He had a pastor's heart. And you read 1 John 1, what comes off pretty clearly here at the beginning is that he is a pastor. These first four verses, John is sharing from his heart in his care for you. Okay, what does he say? He says, I want you to see what I've seen in Jesus. I want you to experience what I've experienced with Jesus. I want you to taste what I have tasted, and I want to share it with you. This, this book doesn't come off like a letter, like one of the other um, letters in the New Testament. It comes off, there's no introduction, there's no greeting, there's no specific people that it's written to. It almost comes off like a pamphlet. Like John is writing, it's, a, it's like a gospel track. He's saying, I want you to experience 
what I've experienced with Jesus Christ. And so he's writing it. He's writing it to all these different churches. They would have passed this, this letter around, and he's writing it to you this morning. He's writing it to me this morning. I want you to see and experience and taste and know what I have seen and tasted in Jesus. And what's the word that he uses to describe what he wants you to have and he wants me to have in Jesus? It's the word in verse three, repeated twice. It's the word fellowship. I want you to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, which which creates fellowship with other believers. That's the word, though. It's the groundwork of this entire message, of this this entire book in the New Testament. I want you to have fellowship. Now, that's a pretty churchy word. We have fellowship halls. Okay, we, we talk about fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. And what it, what it means down in its root is this, this shared relationship. It's not just knowing a little bit about someone. It's not, it's not a cold kind of connection with someone. Fellowship is a deep close, personal, and intimate relationship with someone. It is a tight-knit communion with someone. And so what John is saying is, I want you to have this kind of fellowship, this shared life with the Father, this shared life with the Son, that in your heart you know the love of Jesus and you know the communion with the Father. That when you read his word and you pray, you experience the closeness that you have with God. And, and here's the, the struggle is, is that it, for, for many of us, all of us at times, our relationship with God doesn't feel this way. Like, are we in fellowship with the Father and the Son in the way that we've, the way that I've described in the way that John was trying to get across to the people? Do we live and thrive and walk day by day in the sweet, close fellowship with the Father and the Son. And he's saying, I want, you, I want to give this to you. I want to teach you. that it, Your walk with, with God is so much more than just checking boxes or doing what you're supposed to do or showing up on Sundays. Like I want to teach you that it is deeper and more personal than that. It's the difference between going to breakfast with with people you work with and going to breakfast with people you love. You got a a work breakfast early in the morning. It's probably not something you're really excited about. You know, it's early, you know, small talk. You're like, it's 7 a.m. Can I get my, you know, get my breakfast and get out of here? I mean, it's impersonal. I mean, awkward conversation. It's just not something, maybe you guys are different. Maybe you love these breakfasts with people you don't really know and You know, you talk about the weather, it's awkward, and you you get in and you get out, versus a breakfast with someone you love. Ashley and I had a breakfast with a couple that we love just a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen this couple for over five years. They lived in Italy, and we're back in the States, and I mean, two hours felt like two minutes, just catching up and sharing, showing pictures and praying and laughing, and it was such an encouraging breakfast, and it's like, this is... This is the the distinction between these two types of relationships. One's formal and cold and just something that we do, and one is warm and personal and deeply connected. And John is saying, for the third time I say it, 
he wants us to have it this way. Even if we follow Jesus for decades, he wants us to have this deep communion with the Father and with the Son. But John gets it, that this isn't always the case, right? That that's not just, it just doesn't happen. And so what what John does in the next five verses, five through nine, is he's going to say, there are reasons why you're not experiencing this. There's reasons why this sweet relationship's just not happening for you. And what John's going to do is very intentionally, very pastoral, he's going to say, let me show you what's keeping you from that type of relationship with the Father and the Son. And so he walks through three barriers, three barriers that I want to look at, and then he gives the answer. And I want us to, to look at these and say, okay, are these barriers keeping, hindering me from my relationship with, with Christ. And it's good. It's good for us to, to look and say, okay, well, why is my relationship with God just not where I want it to be? And is this the reason? And so he does that in verses five through nine. And so look with me at verse five. He starts kind of thinking, if you want fellowship with the Father and the Son, it has to start with good theology. So verse five, he kind of lays the groundwork. You must understand this theological statement. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So he starts with theology. He doesn't start with them. He doesn't start with God's love. He doesn't start with God's mercy. He doesn't start with God's grace. He starts with God is a bright, shining, burning light. God is completely holy. And by definition, he literally cannot be in the presence of sin. Isn't your joy filling up real quick? I mean, you, you just said, I'm come to give you fellowship. I've come to give you joy. And you're kind of thinking, oh, he's going to give us something happy. And God is a bright, shining, burning light, and no darkness can be in his presence. You're like, whoa, okay, that's not super happy. But this is, this is where it starts. Understanding who God is by definition helps us to appreciate and love who he is for us. This is where we find joy. God is the bright, shining, burning light. Now we've got to work through the passage. Like how is it possible to have joy in the fact that God is completely perfect as the bright, shining sun, that we can't even approach him or we will be burned because of our sin? Where is the joy? And I think the text kind of works us through how we can have joy in that. But here's what he does next. He's going to say, let me give you three hypothetical situations that have to do with God's light and and the darkness, our darkness, and, and let me try to show you what might be keeping you from this fellowship and this joy. Okay, so let's put up all three on the screen. Three times in the passage, you see the phrase, if we say. So three times, if if you say, if you say, or if you say, verse 6, 8, and 10. And what he's doing is he's saying, let me paint a situation. Let me paint a situation that could be keeping you from the fellowship and the joy of being in sweet communion with the Father. Three different situations. So let's look at each of these. First, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, 
He's trying to give them a sweet relationship, and he's saying, there are, this, this, could be, this could be blocking that fellowship and communion. You, you blocks your fellowship if you walk in darkness. And so for us, we have to think through, okay, what, is, what does it mean to walk in darkness? And does that describe my life in this, in this moment now? So what does it mean to walk in darkness? Okay, let me first say this. He's talking to believers. Sometimes we get to 1 John and we say, well, Christians can't walk in darkness. Well, he's about to call them children four or five different times through 1 John. He's talking to believers, believers who have walked away from the light and who, who are walking in darkness. And darkness is a pretty uh, often used metaphor in the Bible. So there's, a, there's the darkness of your mind in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4. It's ignorance. It's the inability to understand. There's the darkness of soul that the Old Testament talks about. Your soul can be dark. And in Ecclesiastes, it uses that phrase to describe sadness, like discouragement, tragedy. But in the New Testament, we see darkness really describing darkness of your deeds, like a darkness of what you do. Sin that you choose that is counter to what God has told us to do. Ephesians 5 is kind of the place that talks about the deeds of darkness. Paul lists them, lying and covetousness and impurity and violence. And he goes on to say, it's not just things that you do that are dark. Look at verse 11 and 13 on the screen. He says, Nate, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And so what you see here in Ephesians 5 and what I think you see in 1 John is this. It's a double darkness. Darkness of what you're doing as, as counter to God. But there's also a physical darkness because oftentimes these, these deeds of darkness aren't even known by anyone else. And that's why Paul says, expose them. Bring them into the light. And so the way that I think about it is... is is he's talking about darkness, darkness, deeds of darkness that we hide in that nobody knows about that hinders a relationship. Now, again, there's, this makes, I think this makes common sense that your fellowship with God can be impacted by what you do, right? We, we understand that in our relationships, right? Wives, if you're bitter, towards your husband, if you're angry at something your husband has done in the past, uh, if you're jealous, if you're discontent, does, does that impact your relationship with your husband? Absolutely it does. Does your husband have to know about those for it to impact your relationship? No. It can be, those, those sins can be hiding in, the, in your heart, and, and your bitterness will necessarily impact that sweet fellowship between a husband and a wife. It, it, that's how it works. Our sin impacts our relationships. Husbands, in the darkness that's on your phone, the things that you look at and the things that you, the things that you think about and the things that you meditate on, like, do you think that impacts your fellowship with your, with your wife? It does. And no one has to know about it. 
It's not the knowledge or the openness of the sin that impacts the relationship. It's the darkness of the sin. And so this first point is, is I think it's pretty clear. Um, John is saying, if you don't have fellowship with the Father, are you walking in darkness? Like, are you doing something that is, that is a barrier to the light because he's light, and if you're walking in darkness, it's, it's not possible to have that sweet relationship. Then he goes on in verse 8. Look at the second example, or the second barrier, the picture that he paints. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Another hypothetical situation, but this is different. The first example was you're walking in darkness. This example is you're not walking anywhere. The main verb in this one is you're, you're saying something. To say in the Bible means you, you believe something. And so he's saying it's not about what you're physically doing. What, what, I'm, what he's saying is, is what do you believe about your sin? And what does he say? He says you believe you have no sin. Like you don't see the sin in your life. You misunderstand your sin. You misdiagnose your sin. You underestimate your sin, and it impacts the fellowship with the Father. And once again, I mean, we do this. I mean, how quick we are to explain our sin instead of confess our sin. Right? How quick we are to to explain our sin because of our personality or because of our situation or because of our because of the situation that we're in or what someone else has done. Like how quick we are to, to have a, a inappropriate, not accurate view of our sin. And I think that's what John is saying is you don't see your sin the way that you should. And what happens over time is, is as we misdiagnose our sin and kind of downplay our sin and, and blame others in our sin. What happens over time is that we get to the point where we are this person in verse 8. And I have no sin. Like, every sin, there's a reason. This is, just, this is just how God made me. And we kind of have these excuses to finally we get to the point where we say, like, I don't even see it. It's not even a big deal. And again, this is the opposite of where Christ has called us. Look at this quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his famous sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he talks about this idea of mourning for sin. He says, I cannot help feeling that the final explanation of the, state of, the, of the state of the church today is a defective sense of sin and a defective doctrine of sin. Coupled with that, of course, is a failure to understand the true nature of Christian joy. There's not the real deep conviction of sin as was once was the cause or the case on the other hand, there's the superficial conception of joy and happiness, which is very different indeed from that which we find in the New Testament. Thus, the defective doctrine of sin and the shallow idea of joy working together of necessity produces a superficial kind of person and a very inadequate kind of Christian life. So many people spend all their lives trying to find this Christian joy. And I suggest that in the 99 cases out of 100, 
This is the explanation. They have failed to see that they must be convicted of sin before they can experience joy. They do not like the doctrine of sin. They dislike it intensely and they object to it being preached. They want joy apart from the conviction of sin, but that is impossible. It can never be obtained. Those who are going to be converted and who wish to be truly happy and blessed are those who first of all mourn. Conviction is the essential preliminary to true conversion. What John is saying is you've got to understand your sin if you're going to have fellowship with the Father. Like You, you can't have the high of the joy of the cross and Jesus is, if you haven't gone to the low and the realization of your sin. And until you experience the low of your sin, the high of the joy, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And so what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, what John is saying in 1 John 1 is that we, we have to mourn for our sin. Not just see it, but, do, but mourn for it. Like recognize it for what it is. And, and so that's the question for you this morning. Like does your sin bother you? Does it, what does it do for you? Where does it take you? I mean, do, you, do we mourn for our sin or do we shrug our shoulders at our sin? Or do we downplay our sin? Paul mourned his sin. Oh, wretched man that I am. And it was in his understanding of his wretchedness that his joy could be found in the cross. First Timothy, where he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I mean, this is the gospel. That you see your sin for what it is, but you, at the same time you see God's love for you even in your sin. And so you confess your sin, you recognize your sin, you mourn for it because this is the gospel. That you see your sin for what it is and you see Jesus for who he is. And look what happens in verse 7. So right after this hypothetical situation about you see no sin in your life, what happens, or what's the opposite? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I mean, what a verse. You see your sin for what it is. You walk into the light confessing it, showing it before the Father. This is fellowship because now you see your sin, but what else do you see? When you bring your sin into the light and you're honest with yourself and with God, what happens? You see the blood of Jesus. You see the blood all over you. You can appreciate the cross because you've brought your sin into the light. This is, this is the story of the woman who, who was caught in adultery. I mean, this story is powerful story of God's grace and his mercy. And you remember the story where the, the, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, they, they catch the, this woman in the act of committing adultery, they, they think, in the act. They, they put this trap together for this woman to, to bring her to Jesus. And so they catch her right in the moment and they drag her to Jesus. And they say, hey, Jesus, like cast a stone, condemn this woman. And what does Jesus do? He, instead of focusing on the sin of this woman, it was already exposed. He focuses on the sin of the people who dragged her to Jesus. And so he says, you, you guys are hypocrites. You're hypocrites. And he exposes their sin. And how do they deal with his, their sin being exposed? They leave. They don't like their sin being in the light. They like her sin being in the light. 
And then he turns to the woman and look at what he says. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Really interesting. Jesus does not say she's not guilty. She is guilty. She has committed sin, the sin of adultery. Jesus never says you have no guilt. What does Jesus say? He says, I don't condemn you even though you're guilty, even though you're exposed, even though your sin is being confessed for you in the light in front of all these people. I don't condemn you. How can Jesus say that? How can Jesus say I'm not, the law said she should be condemned. How? Because Jesus knows I will be condemned so that you don't have to be. I am your condemnation. And so this is the heart of confession we recognize the gospel. The gospel is, is when we bring our sin into the light and we see our sin for what it is, it's not shameful. It's not, not to make us feel guilty. It's, it is a picture of the cross because we, we pour it before Jesus and we see the blood of Christ that covers us. And the third example, the, the last if we say examples, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is slightly different than the second situation. Okay, it's a little, it seems a little bit more specific where the second one said, well, I have no sin. It's almost like a, a general statement about our sin. Well, I'm, I'm not a sinner. This feels or seems a little bit more specific. I've not sinned in this particular situation. And so whereas the second example deals more with, I think, callousness, the inability to see sin. I think this third example deals mostly with pride. In my pride, excuse me, I I don't see my sin. Like someone's confronting me in my sin, and this happens all the time, and and I don't see my sin. I've already said this, but here's how I, I see it. We explain our sin, and we don't confess it. When we're confronted and our sin is right in front of us, We say, I haven't sinned, and we look for explanations or reasons on why it happened. So what is, what's the antidote? Like, what is the answer? And this this is the habit. The answer is, confess your sin. Look at all three examples here. Are you walking in darkness, darkness? Like right now, is there sin in your life that nobody knows about? that you run to and you hide in and you feed yourself on? What's what's the solution for this person? Confess your sin. Sin has no power in the light. Bring it to the light. Talk with others about it. Talk with God about it so that you could no longer walk in darkness but walk in light. The second example, do you say you have no sin? Does your sin not really bother you? you, Can you not even think of your sin? Like, I, I mean, do you just downplay it? What's, what's the solution? What, is, what does John tell us? Confess your sin. Mourn for your sin. Take your sin to the cross and let it break you because you know you put Jesus on the cross. And then the last one, verse 10, are you denying your sin even though you've been confronted with it? What does he say? First John 1, 9. 
confess your sin. If you confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sin. And this is hard. You know, I'm writing this sermon this week, thinking through illustrations, and this one kind of hit me. I wasn't really hoping, I wasn't expecting this one, but I, I sinned against my son this week. On Wednesday morning, I was taking them to school. I'm not going to explain my sin. I'm just going to confess it. But, but it was crazy. You know how it is? And, and, and things happened, and, and, and I yelled at my son. And I got, I got angry at my son. And it was, it was not pretty. It was not pretty at all. And I went to work, and I opened up my Bible, and I'm working on this, sin, or this sermon, and I'm reading 1 John. And, and I, I, I knew I sinned. I sinned. I had sinned against my God and my son, and here I am working on this sermon on confession. I was like, well, now I have a great illustration. This is awful. And I got home. I got home from work. First thing, I said, Truman, I need to come talk. Now you know who I've sinned against. But I said, Truman, I need to talk to you. I said, Truman, I am sorry that I have sinned against you. And that I got angry and that I yelled and I said things and I was mean to you. And listen, this is a picture of the gospel. And when we don't confess our sin and we don't talk about our sin and we hide it and it's very private, Okay, what happens is, is our, our, our picture of sin changes to the point, well, I have no sin. How can we confess our sin? We know the cross covers us. We are covered by the cross. That Jesus was exposed on the cross so that in our exposure with our sin that we are covered. Jesus was exposed. And he was exposed so that you don't have to be. And so Christianity, walking with Jesus as a disciple, it's just interesting how this picture of confession just keeps showing up, that you have to confess to become a believer, a follower of Jesus. Confession, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then you confess with baptism because walking with Jesus is public, and so you make a public confession. And then, by the way, the rest of your life, walking with Jesus is a confession, humbly saying, I have sinned. I have sinned because following Jesus is about confession. And so my prayer for you is that you would be humbled by your sin, that you would confess. You'd confess to yourself. Admit to yourself your sin. You'd see it for yourself that you wouldn't be like the person in verse 8. You'd confess your sin to God. First, you go to God, and every, every time you pray, you confess your sin to him. You bring it into the light. He knows it that you confess your sin to the people you offend, like I did with my son. Confess your sin to your spouse. Confess your sin to brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, there's no shame. Right? We're so worried about what people will think about us. I mean, that's what you would expect if, if getting to Jesus was based on what you do. We confess sin because we know that we're, we're covered. We are covered by the cross and by his blood. And so we can confess because we know who we are. And we hate sin and we want to follow Jesus completely. And so what we're doing as a church is we've taken these first three habits. Okay, study the Bible, pray continually, and confess your sin. 
And what we've, do, we've created these groups, we're calling grow groups. There's a little insert in your bulletin. So these are groups that help you in these first three habits. There's nothing that crazy about them. We believe studying the Bible and pr- praying continually and confessing your sin will help you be a disciple of Jesus. And so these groups are groups of three men or three women that meet together on a weekly basis to do just that. Slowly read through the scripture together, study it, you pray for each other, and you confess your sin. And so we've had these groups going for the summer, kind of just kind of starting them out. We have about 10 groups that meet. But if this is something that you, you would like to do, we would love to help connect you in a group. Uh, you can email me, you can email Elizabeth. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to get you put into a group that you're going to connect in. Because our hope, again, is we want to grow as disciples. How do you grow as a disciple? You study his word, you pray, and you confess. And so we want to do that with these groups. And so if you have questions, um, come talk to me. Send me an email. Uh, But let's just confess our sin. Let's see our sin. Let's bring it into the light. And let's have the joy the joy of knowing that God is light and we are covered because of the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for everything. That like the woman caught in adultery, we are all caught in our sin. Now, we're not condemned, but we we are condemned in your place. You were condemned for us. And so, God, I pray that we would see our sin for what it is so that we may fight it and turn from it and run to you. God, I pray against pride. I pray against callousness. I pray against fear. I pray against shame. All the things that keep us from talking about our sin and hiding in it. God, I pray that um, we would be people who see our sin who are humbled by our sin, who are broken by our sin to the point that we can bring it into the light because we want to walk with you. So God, help us as we do this. This is, this is not easy, um, but it is good. And so God, we, we pray that you would help us personally confront us in the ways that we sin. Holy Spirit, open our eyes apart from the excuses, apart from the the, the ways that we explain it. Open our eyes that we could see our sin and be broken for. And then may we, we bow before you, run to the altar, and, and receive the life and the mercy and the grace that you pour upon us. And then may we walk in the newness of the spirit and life and light. It's in your name we pray. Amen.